My name's William Marler. I'm 23 years old, I'm an animator, I do stand-up comedy, and I have cystic fibrosis. In this podcast, I'll be helping share real stories from real people affected by CF. Hi, I'm Rue. Hi, my name is Pearl. Hi, my name is Charles Michael Duke. I have cystic fibrosis. And I'm coming to you straight from the lungs. Straight from the lungs. Straight from the lungs. For a lot of people, going to university or college is a rite of passage to finally understand your purpose in life. It's also the chance to meet lifelong friends and make some amazing memories. But leaving home and taking on a cystic fibrosis lifestyle all on your own can be very scary. When you get to university though, you'll often realise that you're less alone than ever. All my friends and all my housemates are aware of my CF and they sort of like help me with it. Rue studied financial economics at Kingston University. Say if I'm doing my pod hailers, they'll remind me about it or they'll remind me like, have you taken your Creon? So they're not naggy, but they're more concerned and everyone sort of adopts it into the household. It's like a very normal thing now. No one really makes a big deal out of it, but at the same time, they want to keep a careful eye that I'm doing everything I'm meant to be doing. Like Rue, when I went to university, after a month or so, my routine felt completely normal. I was able to fit my morning physio in before lectures and got my evening routine out of the way so I could join in with what my flatmates were doing. I mean, you're saying this in a time where I do have about like three assignments just weighing on my mind. But other than that, yeah, I think any sort of change in your lifestyle, you're going to have to adapt to. And then after a while, you get used to it. Same with anything. So I think going to uni, it is annoying. And you do feel like you never have enough time to do anything within the first year or so. And then after a while you have your routine you know what you're meant to be doing every day and you end up just planning around it now I don't really think about my day so much I wake up and you know I do what I need to do do my physio do my labs take my tablets and then get ready and go to uni although some people find it fairly easy to handle their CF whilst at uni there will always be support on hand in case things get tricky so my uni's so helpful. So when I first came, you do have to be a bit active in letting your tutors know because, you know, they might see it and they might on your whatever you sent me to see about your health and your disability information. But you do have to actively say to them, this is a time that I need off and provide them with evidence. And then once I did that, my uni got me to speak to an occupational therapist at my uni who basically said, it's fine, just do what you need to do and make sure you're on top. And really help me like plan things out. And now if I ever miss anything, my lecturer is all informed and they'll send me anything I need to be sent. I went to Birmingham City University in 2013 to study film and animation. For about a year before that, however, my mum and dad helped me get ready. I had a big list of things for you, but I had a big list for your brother. So to be fair, your list was longer. As strange as it may seem, I said, have that list. <laughs> So choosing a university for anybody is a big choice and ultimately it should be your choice. And certainly for your brother when he chose university, he looked at the courses and looked at lots of other things about them, whether he liked them, what they were going to be like and everything when he went to visit them and hopefully they weren't too far away from home. But for you, you had to look and see, OK, where's the nearest CF centre? Which was, you know, a major contributing factor. And also, is it accessible from home quickly by road, by train, if you suddenly needed to come home if you were ill? So that sort of restricted you a bit, didn't it, with where you could go if you were going 
going to be sensible. We looked at trying to get accommodation very near to campus as well, didn't we? You were very lucky that they just built the new campus right next door to where you're living. If it was the old place, that would have been totally different, wouldn't it? But we had to think about things like registering with a GP. And I remember it struck me as really funny that friends that had got children going to university and they became ill. And why haven't you registered them with a GP? No, I'm like, well, that was like you did that before you left. Because for you, that was a lifeline because of getting your medication if you became unwell. Where's the nearby chemist? So we had to look at where's the GP in relation to the mm. hospital? Where's the chemist? Is it going to be easy for you to get your medication? They're just like paramount, weren't they? Mm. And one of the things that I was really concerned about was the fact that you were going to be with non-smokers in your flat, which you put a request in, but obviously not everybody's going to actually say on their form when they're applying to unit they're a smoker. And then not only that, I was worried about things like would they be appreciative of the fact that you needed sleep, you know, you need rest, you know, and when you're unwell particularly, but just generally you need a good night's sleep. They could be coming in at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning and, yeah, maybe you could be, but would they be mindful of things like that? And We had to have sort of a plan, didn't we, if you come on well what would you do would you go to hospital would you will we go up there you know there's, there was lots of things that eventualities that we had to sort of have as a plan didn't we mm. when i looked at that list that i made originally there were the things on it that could be for anybody without cf because at that point you weren't using things like buses and you weren't doing your own washing and you weren't doing your own shopping you weren't making your own meals and i remember we did the stop few meals like this is what you tell you do this this and this so at least you've got an idea of how to cook a little bit you went to uni and you grew pseudomonas, which is another story, isn't it? Literally, you've been there two days, which was like pretty bad news because then we had to go and get all the stuff for you, which isn't wasn't an issue. It was the fact that you got this burden of treatment for the next three months, which was a lot of treatment. We went and got it all from Nottingham, didn't we? Drove down with it arranged leave it at reception we wouldn't see you because we'd only just left you mm. we didn't want to sort of it was difficult enough leaving you let alone to see you again and then so we arranged and left it didn't we and then you picked it up so that was massive sort of you know having to cope with that i don't think it was as bad as when alexander left <laughs> was it i think the difficulty i was undergoing was it it was the first one yeah, but then Mum just passed away, didn't she, just yeah. after he went. When yeah. William went, Alexander had also gone because he went back for his last year, didn't he? Yeah. So the house was empty. Also, the fact you grew pseudomonas, you having all that extra treatment and, you know, all that, it was difficult, but um, you got through and you did it. The fact that you can, A, be independent, live away from home, and that you're well enough and you're enjoying it and you're doing really well. My course lasted three years, during which I had to go into hospital three times. Despite this, I was still able to graduate with a first-class degree. That was due in part to tutors like Matt, who helped me balance uni and my CF. I think you probably told me about it, I guess. I mean, what does happen is we get sent support statements, but sometimes those can take a while to come through. Sometimes they don't come through until we already know people. So probably by the time your support statement came through, I probably already knew you. The university are very good at doing these support statements, but sometimes I think they take a while to filter through. As soon as I got accepted into BCU, I met up with a disability advisor to explain how CF might affect my uni life and see how they could help. He was then able to help me create this support statement that then got passed on to my tutors. At this time, I also kept in contact with my social worker, Ange, who advised me of the government support that I could receive. In the UK, we have Disabled Students Allowance, or DSA. 
a lot of people with CF get help with laptops. And that's because people with CF often don't want to be in crowded libraries when it's a very buggy time of year. They maybe have days where it's going to be better for them to work at home. So that is their learning being affected by their CF. The other major areas now is there's a general allowance. Now that covers all sorts of things. So it might be photocopying costs or applies a little bit to accommodation. And the third category is travel allowance. Now, a lot of people I know have always been turned down for travel and have been told, well, actually, you're just traveling like any other student and your CF doesn't affect your day-to-day travel, which I'm not sure I completely agree with, but it is quite difficult to get travel in that regard. But this year, I've known a number of people who've been successful, actually, I think it is difficult for people. They feel like they're asking for something they shouldn't be having or they don't really have a need. So I suppose my take on that is to say it how it is. A difficulty for people is that at the point where you would be applying for this, people are thinking, I'm going off to uni. I want everything to be the same as everybody else. I don't want to think about this. Definitely some people feel like that about it and don't necessarily apply or don't want to. You know me, I'd always encourage people, if you're eligible for something, you're eligible for a reason, get the assessment. It's an afternoon of your life. It's maybe not the most comfortable afternoon, but it can be helpful to you in the future. So if people can do that early doors, that's good. But if they can't, if they don't want to for any reason, it doesn't mean the door's closed. So I was ready. I'd got my DSA sorted out. The uni knew what to expect, and my mum and dad could hold on to me no longer. It was time to leave home and live with brand new people. The first like real memory I have of you is you telling us how quickly you can fold a t-shirt. You could like flick a t-shirt and make it into a perfect square. You were like, guys, guess what I can do? That and a Rubik's Cube. That's my first memory of you. That's Sydney, one of my flatmates in first year. I decided to be open about CF to her and the other people I live with right from the start. I think you and your mum explained it to us when your mum was still there. You sat us down and you told us about it. And I remember your mum being in the room as well, in the kitchen. She was like there to support you. But I hadn't heard of it before, can't lie. I guess I was quite sheltered, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> your mum and dad obviously very supportive, but they were very like protective of you going. Like This is obviously a big thing for all of us, but it was like such a big thing for you to go. You were so organised. I remember like you being like, where should I put butter? Does it go in the fridge? And mum was like, yeah, yeah, it goes in the fridge. And I was like, oh my God. And then like three months down the line, you were so much more independent. Like you had so much more about you. I think you grew as a person from like when we got there till Christmas, so much more than like the rest of us because you sort of took control of your own life a little bit more. You were like in control of your medicines, your food, everything. Despite being so open, It took me about half a year before I let Sydney see me do my physio. I don't really remember it being a weird thing, to be fair. I remember acknowledging it, obviously, but I don't remember being like, oh, this is odd. It's just, I guess maybe you'd explained it. It was just part of you. Halfway through my first year, I had to go into hospital for two weeks, which was quite a shock for Sydney and my other flatmates. I think I was home and you just messaged me and I'm sure you said, oh, when you come back. (laughs) I'm actually not going to be here. And I was like, oh, okay. So when I got back, it was just me and Jordan in the flat. I remember then, like, properly Googling it. Like, before, told us enough to get by. And I must have Googled it at some point. I remember when you went to hospital, like, properly Googling it, and me and Jordan being like, oh, there's so much more to it. Like, there's articles of people that literally have to live on oxygen and everything. And you're just like, oh, my God, like, this is serious. Yeah, we were reading, like, loads of case studies on it. It's quite a depressing evening. <laughs> 
I think when you went into hospital, we'd like message you and stuff <laughs> just to see how you were every day. And you seemed pretty bored. That was when it sort of hit home a lot more than before. But then I think, again, we were more friends. So it kind of meant a bit more than just a flatmate going into his room doing treatment. I think another one that hit home was when we went out for dinner for the first time. We went to Hamid Burger and you had to like work out how many tablets to take and when to take it. You that. It was another element to it that I hadn't necessarily seen before. Did I seem normal? No. <laughs> you're an odd character anyway. You're not a typical lad, are you? I can't say you were normal in that sense, but the cystic fibrosis didn't affect you as a person, in my opinion. Like, it didn't change your personality or anything like that. I think the thing is as well, though, like, uni is a whole new world, isn't it? Like, you meet completely new people that you'd never, ever, ever be in contact with unless you're kind of put in that situation. So surely you got more confident telling people because you kind of had no choice and you, there were so many new people. So surely by, like, second year, telling people was a lot easier than when you potentially told us for the first time. Like, we were probably the first people you told that wasn't your close friends or family. That in itself was a big step. I feel like I just bigged you up. <laughs>
this past week we've had to do a um, group presentation for one of our modules and I was with four other guys who let's say three out of the four were rubbish and with the night before I ended up redoing all 40 slides and then emailed them like just make sure you know your bit for tomorrow and then we went in and did it and I was thinking I mean I wasn't in for IVs I wasn't on IVs I just juggled the normal amount of CF that I do when I'm relatively well and I was thinking like you've literally done nothing what excuse do you have you feel a bit bad saying that because you don't know everyone's circumstance but I think CF does make you more motivated in general. My tutors helped me miss as little as possible but it was important for me to do as much as I could whilst I was away. I recorded some lectures for you, didn't I? Mm-hmm. And kept in contact, and at university level, the responsibility is also yours. So when you were away, I was completely confident that you were carrying on working with you, with your animation, which is, as we know, a very time-consuming, requires a lot of dedication. For you, totally confident that you'd carry on doing it, carry on with your research, and also carry on doing other things that were um, maybe not directly related to your studies, but would have an impact on your studies overall and your kind of creative practice. And, and I think one of the things certainly about an art and design education and the tradition of an art and design education is that one of the tertiary skills that we learn is problem solving, yes? So how do we solve a problem like William? <laughs> um, okay, maybe there's a, another way we need to tackle this. There is no point in trying to do things that you sort of can't do, mm-hmm. is there? I spent the whole of last year travelling. I started off by going to Italy. And when I was booking into my hotel in Italy, that's my phone number. I said, yeah, sure. It's O-V-I-V-I-X-I-V-I-X-I-X. Thought <laughs> when in Rome. <laughs> A huge part of the university or college experience is societies, parties and clubbing. I was part of my uni's TV station in third year, which I loved, but parties and clubbing weren't really for me. I was the guy who attended pre-drinks, not drinking alcohol, and when everyone else went out for the night, I'd go to bed. For Beth though, things were different. I just think a lot of people meet a lot of lifelong friends when they go to uni, so definitely making sure that I could take part in all the social stuff was important. She studied journalism at Worcester University. It would involve definitely going out like nightclubs with societies. That was a big part because I used to run a society as well, so organising it and organising nights out and organising meetings and activities was quite a big part of my life when I was at uni. It's just like doing things with my housemates and some friends from my course, whether it was just staying in or like cooking like group meals or doing stuff on the weekend, just things like that. I always put life first and then I kind of think, oh, and CF, you know, it's second. So if I was happy elsewhere, like in my life, then that definitely does have a positive impact. Like even if it's just like positive mental attitude makes you feel better in yourself anyway, like I was really well through uni, so maybe it was just being happier and being more active that did that. When I was at uni, I wasn't really one to go out to clubs and drink like most people. But from the few times I have been to clubs, I've always come away thinking, how on earth does a floor get that sticky? 
I wondered whether hygiene and germs were on best mind in those sort of environments. It probably should have been, but I don't think I thought too much about germs and things like that. When I was at uni, I think if I had enough to drink, I didn't really think about anything too serious. So it was easy to overlook it. But yeah, it probably was a bit of a really germy area that I probably, well, I say that I probably should have been more careful in, but actually I was quite well throughout uni. And I think it was because I was so active as well as going clubbing that I ended up okay. I imagine if I was constantly concerned about picking up germs here and there and meeting new people and going to new places that could be dirty and germy, then I wouldn't have joined in with a lot of stuff and I would have just been at home while other people were out having fun and that wouldn't have made me happy and instead would have given me a lot of time to sit and nitpick about like, oh, that was a bad cough, am I getting a chest infection? Or, you know, like think too deeply about CF, which I just don't tend to do. And I think that would have made me more worried about things like chest infections and germs if I think too much about it. Like I said, I never drank much at uni, but that was a personal choice. I asked Dr Barr from the Wolfson CF Centre whether drinking alcohol affected cystic fibrosis at all. The national guidance is that we should always drink responsibly, and that is up to 14 units per week and not all in one go. This is equivalent to six pints of beer or six glasses of wine per week. This should all be taken not in one go on a binge drink, but gradually through a week. The UK guidelines also suggest that you should have days without alcohol. The reason why it's more important for people with cystic fibrosis to be aware about the potential problems is that the liver breaks down alcohol and it can do this more slowly in people with cystic fibrosis. People with cystic fibrosis are more likely to get liver damage and if you have established liver disease it's really advised to seek guidance from your CF team about whether or not it was safe for you to drink. The other thing would be to avoid alcohol intake if you're currently unwell and requiring either oral or IV antibiotics. Hopefully if you're on oral or IV antibiotics you're actually trying to focus on your treatments and looking after yourself rather than going out drinking at that particular time. The other area where people with cystic fibrosis need to be more aware about alcohol is if they've got diabetes as well. Depending on the alcohol you take in, this may lead to initial rise in your blood sugar level, but if you're drinking more, this can go down. If you become drunk, and you may be unaware that you're having a hypoglycemic episode and this can be unsafe, so it's always advised to check regular carbohydrates when you're drinking. Try and mix one alcoholic drink with one water drink and make sure you have some starchy food before you go to bed so that you don't have a hypoglycemic episode in the night, which be dangerous. As a healthcare professional, you suggest it's not safe for your liver to get drunk. General guidance shows that you're increased risks if you are having a drinking excessively and getting drunk. It's also going to be difficult for you to do your treatments effectively if you're under that influence of alcohol. And doing your treatments regularly is going to be the best way of preventing infections and promoting your long-term health. We would encourage everyone to live a full and active life and that is having a couple of drinks with your friends. No reason you can't do that as long as you listen to the sensible guidance from your team. It's important for an individual to work with a CF team about what they feel is the necessary level of treatment compliance to keep them safe. We want a balance, we want everyone to live a full and active life and be able to socialise with their friends and as people with cystic fibrosis are living longer we need to be aware of the excessive demands we're making on people and the amount of treatment we're asking them to sometimes unrealistic and it's always important to work with your team to see where the priorities are and to work with them to see what the work-life balance. It's really important people with cystic fibrosis enjoy alcohol responsibly but this isn't just for people with cystic fibrosis this is what everybody should be doing. Of course parties and clubbing are one thing but if you can't go out and do that or if it's just not your style every uni will have loads of societies to choose from too. 
So I ran the Harry Potter Society with my housemates. That was quite helpful because they lived with me and we could organise stuff at home. We got there and we were like, there isn't a Harry Potter Society, there should be. And they should do this and they should do this. And then we just thought, why don't we actually, we'll start this. But we, because we all lived together, we all kind of shared roles. So we just organised events and ran meetings and planned trips to like the Leaveston studio tour and had like Christmas meal and had a Yule ball kind of thing and so that yeah that took up extra time but especially as I was running it with my housemates I never had to be like I can't come because I've got to do this treatment or whatever like we organized a lot of it at home so I could stay comfortable and do my nebulizer while we had a meeting or whatever so that kind of fit in quite easily with my uni lifestyle. When Beth mentioned their Christmas meal I imagined an enormous feast in the Great Hall, with huge tables filled with every food you can think of. Uh, not quite. We didn't quite have the budget for that. I think we just um, went to a restaurant and had like a Christmas meal there. But the Yule Ball was in the Students' Union bar. We had like Christmas trees with fake snow, each decorated with like a different house colour tinsel. And there was a dance floor, but then there was also cocktail drinks for each house. And there was like a fireball shot or something. And... It, that took a lot of planning, but um, that was a good night. We got Best New Society. Uh, I think we got something else, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, I think we got Best Event for the Yule Book. It feels really good that it's still popular and the society that followed us are as committed to it as we were and that it's kept going and it's won more awards as well. So that's good. I'm glad they're running it well. For most people, Going to university or college also means leaving home. Depending on how far you travel, that might also mean being very far away from your CF medical team. Here's Ange again. The model that we found works very well is for people to keep their care with their main centre. They'll have a conversation with their consultant and their consultant will put together very good information which goes to a centre near where they're studying so that if there are any wobbles or emergencies or urgent need, then the centre knows something about them. But they keep all their care and their joined up care at the centre that they come from. They just use the centre they've always used. And people have found that's much more joined up and makes a lot more sense. Now, obviously, as with everything with CF, there's a whole variety of needs. So some people go a long way away and they don't come home in holidays. And in that case, they will need to have um, more real shared care where they attend clinics in other places. So we really go through everybody's individual needs. But the preferred option with us is to keep care predominantly in one place. It's partly to do with the team that knows them. And to be honest, I think like everything else in life, care and ways of doing things vary just a bit from centre to centre. And so we've just found that patients find it easier to be relating to their team and their way. And I think a relationship with a team is a relationship with lots of different individuals, isn't it? So when people are starting at uni and a lot of things in life are new, to have a lot of other relationships to take on as well, if that's unnecessary, then that's unnecessary. And transitions are always difficult, aren't they? And it's the sheer number of relationships too, because you have a relationship with physio, around your physio treatment, there's the consultant, there's a lot of people. It always takes time to build up that rapport. And, you know, from the other side, I would say patients are with us for a length of time while they're weighing up who we are. 
and how honest they want to be because you've got a team of people who want to help people be fixed and be well and you've got a patient who's being asked to do loads and loads of things and it just takes time for people to get into that rapport where everybody's open and honest and feels comfortable. I chose to have shared care which turned out to be quite a frustrating experience. The team that looked after me in Birmingham were lovely and the hospital facilities were totally fine but it was just the lack of communication that made things very difficult. For all the things that make me so thankful to have the NHS in the UK, it still blows my mind that every hospital uses a different computer system. In an age where I can press one button and I'm suddenly talking to a friend halfway across the world, the fact that two clinics not that far apart can't easily talk to each other seems bonkers to me. I've just moved to London so I've had to change to a London hospital and even that one move and having one team but one new team has not been simple and then they're they're like oh we just want to redo all the tests because we didn't get your x-ray through or we didn't get this sample through so we're just going to need to do them all again and I'm like oh god I need to get to work (laughs) like yeah it's not been easy I really miss my old team actually because I was with them for like 20 years well the adults team for the past few years but that I feel like that hospital runs so much better than this one does so I'm glad I didn't have to change when I was at uni <laughs> your old team gets to know you as equally as you get to know them so whereas in Bristol I could be like um yeah I don't do that nebulizer as often as I should and they're like yeah we know and like they just understand my way of maintaining my own health and treating myself whereas with my new team now they're getting used to the fact that I will come in and I will say I'm not doing this or they'll say your lung functions dropped 10% we think you should come in and I'll say no actually just give me some oral antibiotics I'm staying at home (laughs) so I think it is just a case of us getting used to each other if I don't take my tablets in an evening it's not the end of the world if I choose not to do a nebulizer because I don't want to be coughing all through my lecture like it's fine and I can do it later or I'll just skip that dose entirely and do it tomorrow I think there always needs to be a balance between doing treatments religiously and making sure that you can live life at the same time. Because if you are missing loads of social aspects of your life to do treatment, it's almost, it sounds kind of harsh, but like, what's the point in doing treatment? Because you're not living to do anything if you're spending all your time treating yourself in a way. It's kind of how I see it. I need to treat myself and have fun. So sometimes that means like I can't join in with social things and sometimes that means I can't join in with my treatments. Like it just depends how I feel that day. I met some amazing people at uni, like Sydney, Matt, and most importantly, my partner Vicky. Thanks to them and the constant support from my mum and dad, I found university to be some of the best years of my life. It couldn't have ended any better too when I was given the Visual Communication Student of the Year Award, which is one of the only times I've ever been genuinely speechless. As I said earlier, it was a really, really difficult decision doing this, and it took me hours. And I went back, forward, back, forward. I whittled it down to ten, then five, then two, and then one. William Marler. Hello, again. Um, I'm... Uh, okay. Um, if you got cue cards or anything? Cause I've, I've don't, generally... I don't think you need cue cards. <laughs> There's three people in particular. Uh, my film is dedicated to my parents who spent my whole childhood 
making sure that I was uh, as healthy as I am now, uh, getting me to do my pet mass, which the short film's all about. All the things that cystic fibrosis uh, needs, you know, you need to do to stay healthy. Uh, they are the reason that I'm able to go to university. A lot of CF patients can't go to university. Um, uh, and the film is dedicated to them. And uh, so my mum and dad, Jerry and Liz Marler, and also, of course, uh, my wonderful girlfriend, Vicky, who can't be here. Um, all three of those, everything I do, including this, is for those three people. So thank you very much. Straight from the Lungs is produced by me, William Marler, and recorded at Birmingham City University. Thank you to Rue, Matt, Ange, Sydney, Beth, Dr Helen Barr, and my wonderful mum and dad, Liz and Jerry. As always, thanks to Sam Lewis for his keen ear and ever-helpful advice. The beautiful music you heard was by Ben Weatherill. Make sure to head over to our website, lungspodcast.co.uk, where you can find extra breaths from me and my guests, which is all the bits that didn't make it into the main episode, and illustrations by Vicky Neville. In the next episode, we'll be leaving university and going out into the big wide world to get a job. Until then, thanks for listening. You're a good flatmate. Thanks. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs>